So today we're looking at hope and we're looking at the passage um, where Mary is, uh, is, is given the mission that she receives from Gabriel and we're looking at her reaction and seeing how hope comes through that. So, um, Mary, do you mind reading? Do you mind reading this passage? All right. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee. Twenty. Oh, sorry. To a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favoured woman. The Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favour with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary asked the angel, But how can this happen? I'm a virgin. The angel replied, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby will be born, to be born will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but she has conceived a son and is now in her sixth month, for the word of God will never fail. Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. A few days later, Mary hurried to the hill country of Judea, to the town where Zechariah lived. She entered the house and greeted Elizabeth. At the sound of Mary's greeting, Elizabeth's child leapt within her, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Elizabeth gave a great, a glad cry and exclaimed to Mary, God has blessed you above all women, and your child is blessed. Why am I so honoured that the mother of my Lord shall visit me? When I heard your greeting, the baby in my womb jumped for joy. You are blessed because you believe that the Lord would do what he said. Mary responded, Oh, how my soul praises the Lord, how my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour. For he took notice of his lowly servant girl. And from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One is holy. He has done great things for me. He shows mercy from generation to generation to all who fear him. His mighty arm has done tremendous things. He has scattered the proud and the haughty ones. He has brought down princes from their thrones and exalted the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away with empty hands. He has helped his servant Israel and remembered to be merciful. For he made this promise to our ancestors, to Abraham and his children forever. Mary stayed with Elizabeth about three months and then went back to her own home. Thanks, Mary. It's a beautiful passage. So about 44 years ago, a little movie came out. It's known as A New Hope. Anyone seen it? That's right. It's the first, the first Star Wars movie. 
Does anyone know what the new hope mentioned in the title refers to? The rebellion. The rebellion, yep. I guess Luke Skywalker and... Yep. Yeah. You know, the Empire. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I, I personally think it's Luke Skywalker, but obviously it could be the Rebellion and it could be the establishment of a new Jedi Order. It could be all of those things. I saw the next movie uh, in the drive-in when it came out, um, The Empire Strikes Back, when I was in grade eight, I think. And it was so exciting. It was really cool. I had the, the picture book and everything, you know, the, the movie picture book. Um, and uh, it, it left you with a real cliffhanger for the next movie, the third movie, the last one, called Return of the Jedi, which revealed that the hope from episode four was worth pursuing because Luke won back Vader or just before he died and uh, defeated the Emperor and therefore the Empire, right? So that was a hope that panned out. But in recent years... The story has continued in the sequel trilogy. And what happens? Spoiler alert, but I'm going to tell you anyway. The Emperor still lives. What? The Jedi have failed and that new hope has, has it's just failed and been discarded for the latest hope, which of course is, is female because we're woke now, so... <coughs> <laughs> So can't have some some old guy as a hope anymore. Um, so Star Wars, Star Wars's new hope turned out to be a bit of an empty hope. It was very temporary. Strangely, the fantasy of Star Wars actually, I would say that it accurately reflects the reality of our world. It's tragic, but this sort of temporary hope is the only thing that our world knows. You just need to think about how we use the word hope. We say things like, I hope to do such and such, or I hope you get better, or hopefully I'll pass this exam or, or get this assignment in. Yeah, our world's version of hope, our world's version of hope is merely an expression of a wish or a desire for something. That's what hope means in the world. But the biblical hope, the hope, hope in the Bible is radically different from that. The New Testament Greek word for hope comes in only two forms. The verb, which is elpizain, and the noun. This is the noun elpis. Hope never occurs as an adjective or an adverb. Do you know what those are, Graham? Um, <laughs> because what adjectives and adverbs are <laughs> because it never describes a subjective state of mind so so hope is never talking about your feeling right it's it's actually in the new testament hope is actually a concrete reality that's a noun such as in in this hope we were saved, or it's a concrete action. We hope for what we do not see. It's never merely a state of mind. Hope is the certain expectation of what is still to come. Okay, That's the biblical definition of hope. Mary shows incredible hope in her wonderful song of praise to God. 
This is traditionally called the Magnificat, based on the first word in the Latin translation. She sings it before Jesus is born. Before she has seen any of God's promises come true. And so it's automatically a song of hope because she's singing about what's, what she's expecting. This song of hope is such a contrast to Zechariah's scepticism. Zechariah was a priest in the noble line of Aaron, chosen to serve God in the Holy of Holies of the great temple of Jerusalem. He, he was at the centre of religious practice in Israel at that time when the angel spoke to him. Theoretically, he was the closest you could get to God. And yet, he scoffed at God's revelation that he received right there. Like he was right in the centre of, of God's presence and he heard from God and he scoffed at it. Mary, on the other hand, Mary's an unmarried, pregnant, poor girl, once the angel tells her that she's pregnant. <coughs> she wasn't pregnant before the angel came. Um, from a backwater town and she, she just trusts and then praises God in the confident hope that his promises will come true. It's just such a contrast. And Mary's song, one of the really interesting things about Mary's song, it starts with praise for what God is doing through her. She's responding to God's work in her life. But then she turns to praise for what God will do through Jesus. And when she does that, an interesting thing happens to the language. The first part of that of the song in that section says this his he has shown strength with his arm or his mighty arm has done tremendous things he's scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts you notice what she's doing she's suddenly using the past tense his mighty arm has done he has scattered why would she be singing of things in the future as if they were in the past. That's right. No, that that's that's why she's doing it. But how does that work? Do you know? Do you know what they call that, or how? It... So that is why she's doing it, and it's actually a common pattern in the Bible. Uh, it occurs in both the Hebrew of the Old Testament and the Greek of the New Testament. You see, God's prophets and faithful people wanted a way to express how completely confident they were in God's promises and in the fact that they would come true, that they used the past tense to talk about things that God would do in the future. God's promises were so sure that it's as if they've already happened. God's word is as unchangeable as the past itself. Now, for Greek and Hebrew cultures, words were very powerful. They were very literary people. But we belong to a more visual culture. So you may not be very impressed with what is called in Hebrew past perfect. or pre- Sorry, prophetic perfect. Prophetic perfect. Because it's a perfect tense in Hebrew. Not because it's perfect. Um, 
that may not impress you, but so we need some way to visualize it, right? How do we visualize this concept of hope? And while we're at it, what's the difference between hope and faith? I want you to imagine a ship floating in a harbour. If the ship wants to stay, this is a boat, but let's, let's just call it a ship. If it wants to stay in one place in the harbour, what does it do? If it can't tie itself up to a, to a pole or to a jetty, what does it do? Puts down an anchor, that's right. Hope is like an anchor. It sticks to the floor of the sea and it doesn't move. And it holds the ship in place. And faith, faith on the other hand, is like the anchor chain. Faith connects us, us the ship, we're the ship in this illustration in case you hadn't guessed that yet. It connects us to the anchor. And it ensures that we stay wherever that anchor is, is anchored. Our faith connects us to the immovable hope of God's promises. Now in a world where hopes are dashed by things called variance, where we place our hope in what's under the Christmas tree or in the security of our job or in a vaccine or in a house or in a car or in our education, we will always be disappointed. And each disappointment makes our wound deeper until we've lost all joy. Disappointment piled upon disappointment leads to a loss of joy. That is why you hear about grumpy old men, but not grumpy young boys. They may be naughty young boys, but they're not grumpy young boys. Sure, we can be fooled by enough uh, sunshine and beauty to forget the dark truth that Solomon reminded reminded us of. That everything under the sun is meaningless because it all comes to nothing. That's the peril of the Gold Coast, right? It's such a beautiful place on the surface that its residents can easily think they've found paradise. How good is this? We say to each other. Can't get any better. It's very easy for some people on the Gold Coast to think that there is no paradise other than where they live, especially if they live in Paradise Point. But... (laughs) (laughs) No, I think he lives in... Yeah, which is opposite Paradise Point. (laughs) But lurking beneath that beauty is the ugliness of unemployment, disappointment, sickness, relational breakdown, and, and ultimately... Death, yeah. Death by shark. Um, It's not just the Gold Coasters that way. I I caught up with an old friend yesterday and and he's really struggling because, uh, you know, family breakdown has totally spoiled Christmas for his family and it's it's just such such a common thing where we think we're living in paradise until reality hits home. But Jesus offers us hope, an anchor that's set in the bedrock of the future world, the world beyond this one, the world Jesus promises us with words 
that remember are as certain as if they have already happened. This future world is a world where everything unfair, uncertain and unclean is made just and sure and brilliantly clean. Paradise Point will seem like a filthy stable compared to the humblest corner of this new world. Or even Burley. Even Burley will feel it seem pretty daggy, believe it or not. So there are, there, for me, there's, there's so many times that I've misplaced my hope. I've, I've tried to anchor in sand. Anchoring my hope in this world instead of in Jesus. When I was young, growing up in Charters Towers, I used to dream of creating a world-spanning car manufacturing company based in Charters Towers. <laughs> yeah, it just that just seems so silly now. Then later, I hoped to be like the Apostle Paul, striding across the world stage, transforming people and nations with my brilliant theological insights. And what? What was that? <laughs> no, he's he'll he'll grow out of it. I soon realised, and Jordan will realise this too, that God had other plans for me. Then I thought I could transform people's life balance with an amazing smartphone app that almost read their minds, all while maintaining their privacy and supporting advertising. Better than Google. Google doesn't maintain people's privacy while it's supporting advertising. So my my brilliant system did. But again, my hopes were dashed and I had to face God's plans for me. Whenever we place our hope in people or in things in this world or on our own plans, we'll be disappointed. In fact, the famous beginning of Psalm 127, you probably recognise this, it states it very forcefully. Unless the Lord builds a house, the work of the builders is wasted. Unless the Lord protects a city, guarding it with centuries, centuries will do no good. So as we approach Christmas... We have an opportunity to think about where we've placed our anchor, our hope. Is our anchor hooked deep into our past struggles, dragging us backwards? Is our anchor hooked into our present fantasies and worries, keeping us from moving forward? Is our anchor in the things we buy, houses, cars, computers, clothes and education? Or perhaps... In the work we do, or the people we love, or even in the church we serve in. All of these things, if that's, if that's where our hope is, is grounded, it just keeps us bound to this earth, to disappointment, to pain. Christmas challenges us, I think, to pull up our anchor from the things of this world and to let our anchor down into the only secure rock, into Jesus Christ and his work of salvation. That's where Mary placed her hope. And as we approach 2022, 
Let's make sure that our, our New Year plans are anchored in Jesus, in his word to us in the Bible, in his body, the church, and in his promises for our future. Whatever our plans are, whether we're buying a house or a car, whether we're moving, whether we're getting a new job, whether we're continuing our education, whether we're um, getting married or, or finding a boyfriend or a girlfriend or, or whether we're moving to another country or whatever. Those are just things that we do in Christ, or they should be. The Apostle Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, For there is one body and one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, in all, and living through all. When we anchor our lives to this hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, we can be certain that we'll make it to the far shores on the other side of death. And our hopes will be fulfilled forevermore. Let's pray. Father, we know that we live in this world and that we're a part of this world. We're in it. But Lord, help us not to be of this world. Help us to place our anchor the thing that grounds us, that pulls us forward in you, in Jesus, in the promises of Jesus. Give us the strength to always cling to you, to not be distracted by the things of this world, even when we're in the midst of dealing with them, so that we can be your servants, so that we can be powerful in transforming this world and the people around us rescuing them from the the disappointments and the destructiveness and the death of this world in Jesus name Amen